Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76, where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. It's hard enough to get a business off the ground and sustain it across one generation, but it's another to grow and evolve a business across three generations. Market needs change, technology changes, the people inside of your organization and your customers' organizations change. There's so much to balance between staying true to what got you where you are today and being willing to evolve and adapt. In today's conversation, you'll hear from a third-generation owner of a family-owned manufacturing business, and he'll take you through his family's version of this story. Let me introduce him. Greg Hartwig is a third-generation vice president at machine tool distributor Hartwig, Inc., Greg joined the company in 2001 and has worn many hats over two decades, including service, sales, team leader, VP of sales and marketing, and most recently, VP of the company. Born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, Greg played sports most of his life and attended Missouri State University. He and his amazing wife, Natalie, have one stepdaughter named Lillian and a golden retriever named Breck. In his free time, Greg enjoys snowboarding, playing hockey, working out, fast cars, and hanging out with family and friends. Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is cool. Never done anything like this before. So I appreciate you inviting me to do this. This is nice. Awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, we all got to start somewhere. And I've known you for a little while now and I've been wanting to have you on the show. So I'm, I'm glad we were able to finally get to do this. So this will be your test run. And then um, hopefully you'll be the first of, of many podcasts for you. So it's the minor leagues, huh? Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe so. I don't know. <laughs> Awesome. Well, um, Greg, so you know, as I mentioned, you're a third generation leader of a family business that's got your last name on it. Can you tell us a little bit about the company and the path that led you into your role as co-owner and now vice president? Yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a long story, but I'll, I'll do the best I can. My grandfather started it back in 1960. And uh, just the, uh, he was a tool and die maker at Emerson Electric, actually. And he got into old school Bridgeport like milling machines, like three axis milling machines. And uh, he really enjoyed that. And uh, there's a gentleman that owned this company at one time. It wasn't Hartwig originally. It was another name. And uh, the gentleman had passed away. And uh, my grandfather bought the company from his wife. He was just a one-man band for a short period of time. His idea was that if you were able to sell a product, that you needed to have service behind it. So once he hired his first salesman, he hired his first service tech. And that's really how we've grown. We've grown by the name of our, our service, our reputation and service. And, uh, you know, we started here just a block south here where we are in, in Westport in 1960 with just a couple employees. And today we're just over 200 employees and we cross 14 states and seven locations in 14 states. We're very heavy on after sales support. And uh, again, that's kind of how we've, we've got our name and our reputation. But then we also provide a lot of different kinds of machine tools, turning, milling, grinding, automation, EDM, additive. Uh, lots of acronyms I could go on and on, but we're very fortunate. We we represent a lot of higher end brands in all those different uh, categories. Yeah, it's been a good ride. You know, like I said, started in started in service 
a long time ago just to try to figure out what is a machine tool, what is a spindle, what's a chip. There's all kinds of different, uh, it's a different language when you get into it. But yeah, I started there and then got my way into sales and uh, really loved it, uh, helping people. And I love to make millionaires out of our customers. And I think that's a lot of fun to, to make them successful and uh, was successful there and enjoyed the heck out of that for, it was almost seven years in sales. And then I jokingly say I got demoted into management. So here we are, was in Colorado, ran that office for a few years and then came back here in about 2011, was vice president of sales and marketing for probably close to eight or nine years, something like that. And then just most recently, this past summer, I uh, was promoted to vice president of the organization. So, you know, just a, wearing a lot of hats, but yeah, it's it's been a fun ride. There's a lot to learn every day. And what I love about it, I mean, yeah, it's fun to definitely to help make your customers a lot of money, but it's also really cool to see how things are made. It's like that micro show, you know, dirty jobs, but it's really cool to see because we're in everything metal cutting. It's in construction and mining, it's automotive, it's aerospace, it's medical tool and die, anything metal. I mean, the wheels on your car, the appliances at home, we get to see a lot of different things and see how they're made. And uh, again, help people be successful with their business. So yeah, it's been, like I said, it's been a great ride. And I guess I'm on uh, year 22 at this point in time. And uh, my dad recently, I should say almost two years ago, retired and he was 47 years with the organization. So, you know, big shoes to fill for sure. Very cool. Well, yeah, it's hard to look around your your house or your office or wherever you are and um, find much that wasn't touched by a CNC machine, I, I imagine. And so, yeah, it's it's a, a cool part of my business too, working with manufacturers to be able to just kind of see inside those organizations and learn how all the things around us were actually made, which is largely just stuff we take for granted otherwise. So it somehow finds its way on a shelf and then, you know, you just buy it. It's really cool when you get behind the scenes to see how things are made. I always love the story of a, a family-owned business. A lot of American manufacturing and kind of mid-sized companies started in somebody's garage or basement or you know a little tiny machine shop and grew into something that might look completely different from what they were you know fifty plus years ago or whatever it might have been. I'm just kind of curious to hear as a, a third-generation leader now, what's that transition like? What, what was that transition like going from you know generation two to three? I imagine that I'm not in business with my family. I, I founded my company with my business partner. Partner, and I imagine there's all kinds of nuance to running a business with family and transitioning it down. So kind of just curious to hear your your story there and, and your take on, on what that's like. Well, I would recommend uh, not doing it. If you're in family business, it's really tough because you, it's not just, you know, during the work week, but it's Sunday dinners with the family or, you know, any kind of get together. It's the first thing that typically pops up is business. And it's not fun for everybody, especially when things, if you're having a bad day or things aren't going very well. But yeah, no, it's, uh, it wasn't easy. It still isn't easy, but again, it's good. So I would say um, my dad, uh, Gary, put a, put a leadership team together. And so we have a leadership team and inside that leadership team is another team called Horizons. And uh, the Horizons group and the leadership teams work together. It was about a 10 year conversion, quite honestly. From the time that he's like, hey, I think I want to retire to retiring, it really was a 10-year process. And there were times when he was very instrumental in the business and helping us come along and that kind of thing. And the past, I'd say the last two years, I think he was just kind of like, hey, you guys, I think you got it now. 
And we, of course, we'd go to him for you know help and suggestions and things like that. He was always here for us. But like I said, it, it's not easy. You know, today we're about a $200 million business. And turning something like that over to anybody is hard to even fathom. And whether your kids or not, it's a huge responsibility for anybody. And, um, you know, we don't take it lightly. We work our butts off day in and day out. And we had to prove ourselves, our leadership team and our, our team in general, just to get to where we are today, to get to him to say, hey, you know what? All right, you guys have, have earned the keys. You've earned it. You've done a good job. Now it's your turn. But, you know, it was lots of tough meetings, lots of tough times when you go through an oil and gas downturn or you go through the financial crisis or you go through COVID, you know, learning how to treat your employees in a tough time. In all these tough times, I'll just give my dad some props and our leadership team some props here. And all the tough times that we've had, we've never let anybody go unless it was for performance reasons only. We did some furloughs from time to time, but we never, we have never done any layoffs. And we just, he got to a point where in some of those tough times, he wouldn't take a paycheck. And if we did furlough folks, or if we did have to cut some pay, which we did have to cut some pay 10 to 20% from time to time, once we got out of those situations, we paid all that money back to each of those employees. And so, you know, when you go through tough times, you get to really see the true colors and characteristics of people. He taught me a lot there for sure, because it's really easy. Just, hey, we're just going to go ahead and cut 10, 20 percent of the staff and the team. And that doesn't work because once things come back and they always do, then you've got to rebuild all over again. You got to retool. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. And so we run very conservatively. Quite honestly, we don't, we don't have any debt today. We're, we're in the black and we plan on being that way for a very long time. We leave the money in the company. We invest it in the company. We're not frivolous with our money. I'd say we're, we, t- we take good care and we're very conservative with uh, the gifts that have been given to us. Well, congrats. I mean, geez, that's, that's some pretty powerful stuff there, especially to say you've never had to lay somebody off you know, other than, of course, performance reasons, which is a completely different situation. But that's a pretty cool thing to be able to say. And I think speaks to kind of the next thing I was going to ask you about, which is kind of building a culture and a culture of loyalty inside the company. Which I know it's something you and I talked about a little bit in our last conversation, but you know, this is something that's important to you. Clearly, it's been important throughout the history of your company. Can you speak to that a little bit, just the idea of building a strong and, and loyal culture and what you know what's required to do that? It's not easy. I'm not going to say we're perfect at it. We've got a lot of holes. We've got areas that need improvement as well. But we have a culture of accountability. That's the number one thing. We do or we try to do what we say we're going to do. And if we don't, it's a promise, a promise. I promise to get this done by this point in time and, and get back to you. But it's a culture of accountability. It's a culture of mutual respect. We don't have an org chart in our organization. We rely on what we call horizontal management, where everybody's empowered to make their decisions. And if they don't make bad decisions, that's okay. We all make bad decisions, but you're going to learn from it. But yeah, we're all on the same playing field and we, we treat, treat each other as, as well as we can. Some of the different culture tenants that we have is like, we care like family is one of them. I don't know if you've heard of that or not before, but even though somebody may not have the last name Hartwig, we like to treat it like the last name Hartwig, even if it's a, a customer or not customer, employee or not employee. But, you know, lots of respect for everybody. One of the other ones that uh, is near and dear to my heart is the mirror versus window. Now, if you've heard of that before or not, but it's instead of looking out the window and pointing your finger at, hey, that's the problem. 
is like, hey, let's have a look in the mirror and say, what's the problem? And so let's look at our like inside our company, inside ourselves, inside our house first before pointing the finger at somebody else. So there's lots of different culture tenants. In fact, I want to say we have over 20 culture tenants. We have a, a foundation, a journey in our business that are kind of like cogs or gears that help run our business. But first and foremost, accountability and treating each other like family are probably my favorite two of the nearly 20 culture tenants that we have. And if you're interested, I'd be happy to share them with you. Our leadership group over the 10, 15 years ago came up with all these different tenants and uh, something that we live in, live in, I would say die by. And um, we hire and fire for those reasons. And during our Monday morning meetings, which each of our offices have, the regional presidents will typically pick one of those culture tenants and say with the team, okay, so what does this mean to you? How does this affect your business? So we're not trying to like beat it into people because that's never fun. But if you can talk about it and you can actually have conversations about it and share experiences that where the culture actually helped out and made an impact for one reason or another, those things tend to stick. And when customers see it, employees see it, our builders see it, we hope it goes a long way. Now, I would also say if you look at the average tenure of our employees, it's pretty good. It's not the best. It's not the worst. Right now, we have about 30% of our staff has over 10 years with us, which is pretty darn good. And about 15%, 20% have over 20 years. So we have a very loyal workforce. And usually once somebody's in, and we call it drink the Hartwood Kool-Aid, once they're in and drink the Kool-Aid, they're in it. If they make it five or 10 years, they're going to be in it for a long time. It's very rare that we lose somebody after about five or 10 years. One thing you mentioned that is interesting to me is that idea of a horizontal org charter, however you describe it, horizontal management. You don't see that as often. And another company we were talking to recently, a client of ours, actually, it's also a St. Louis company called Pasco Automation. If you're familiar with those guys, they run in a similar fashion. And it was it was interesting to talk to them about how that plays out. I'm just kind of curious, what are some of, you know, talk about that concept a little bit and, and why you guys have chosen that sort of structure versus, you know, a more tiered structure that you probably typically see. You do typically see that. I think it's for a lot of reasons. We are very light on management. We're actually pretty lean. We're, we're very lean for the amount of business that we do. And we want to give everybody enough, I don't know if I'd say rope, but enough leeway to make good and bad decisions. It's going to happen. It's just worked for us for a long time. Now, if you look at the organization, there is a hierarchy, right? There's a hierarchy to every organization, profit or nonprofit. But we don't treat each other that way. We treat each other as if we're all on the same team. Like my door is always open. My brother's door is always open. We, there is no, hey, you have to schedule a time with me or whatever. No, just come in and let's talk. And it's just treating people how you want to be treated more than it is anything else. And having the same amount of respect for a brand new service tech or somebody that's been with us for you know, 30, 40 years. We just try to treat everybody the same. So I think it's, it's just treating each other with mutual respect. And uh, I feel like if, if you show respect for somebody, they're going to show respect for you. And I think that's part of where this is coming from. And again, that's back to, that's back to my dad, where we run pretty lean. We don't have a lot of management in our organization. So really, everybody is empowered to make their own decisions. And uh, if they have questions, of course, it'll help them. But we believe we hire some very talented people. We know we hire some very talented people and we want to let them give them some free reign so they're not micromanaged. 
Yeah, you know, you hire great people and you set expectations properly and and they know what their job is to be done. And if you're hiring the right people, theoretically, you, they shouldn't require a whole bunch of management. But I think it's hard, hard to come to that realization. And well, first of all, it's hard to find great people, especially in a time like today. But once you can pull that off, yeah, and I can see the benefits of, of running that way. So it's very cool. It takes some getting used to because as a manager or, you know, lead in the organization, you're meeting with your employees quite a bit but you're really not micromanaging them. Who wants to be micromanaged, right? I, I was micromanaged for a long time. I don't want to do that to anybody. Okay, let's take a quick break here. I'm really excited to announce an incredible event our team at Gorilla76 will be co-hosting in late January and early February of 2024 in Austin, Texas, just for marketers in the manufacturing sector. I'm going to hand it to our strategist, Peyton Warren, to give you the details. Hi, I'm Peyton Warren, strategist at Gorilla76. Over the past few years, our team has been running twice per month digital learning events for industrial marketers called Industrial Marketing Live. It's been a huge success, and we're seeing 50 to 100 manufacturing marketing folks show up regularly. But one thing this group has told us is that they've been itching for a live, in-person event just for them. Well, we're super excited to be teaming up with True Marketing and Cadena's Part Solutions to deliver exactly that. January 31st through February 2nd of 2024, we'll be co-hosting the Industrial Marketing Summit in Austin, Texas. We have an incredible lineup of speakers for day one who will be covering topics that include SEO in the dawning era of AI, high-impact product marketing, elevating the role of marketing within your manufacturing organization, and giving out a demand generation playbook for B2B manufacturers. And that just skims the surface. On day two, We'll be conducting in-depth breakout sessions to go deeper on some of these key topics and help you apply them inside your own organizations. Not only will this be an intensive learning event with some of the sharpest minds in the industrial marketing space, but we'll be hosting social events in the evenings with great food and venues for networking with other manufacturing folks who are trying to solve the same kinds of marketing challenges you are. We're limited to 300 seats. So visit industrialmarketingsummit.com to learn more and reserve your ticket. We'd love to see you in Austin. Well, Greg, shifting gears here a little bit. We're living in a pretty exciting time in the manufacturing sector right now where there's so much new technology pouring in. I mean, it can be a little bit overwhelming. Certainly, I know you guys have made at Heartwig some very intentional decisions about sort of where to invest and you know, pour some of your own resources, automation and additive manufacturing being a couple of those places. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you made some of those strategic decisions? Yeah, you know, I'd go back to uh, 2016 is when we got into additive. And uh, we started there. And uh, it's a different technology than anything else that we sell. And it's a different conversation. And in many cases, it's a different customer, different uh, maybe contact in an organization. And we struggled because our existing sales force of 25, 30 salesmen is out selling lathes and machining centers and grinders and things like that all, all the time. That's their, that's their bread and butter. Talking about additive is a whole different ballgame. The two don't even go together. We have additive and then we have subtractive and we are typically in a subtractive world. So our, our sales team really struggled. And so we got to a point where we had to make a decision that we've never done before. We took the line or lines, product lines away from the traditional capital sales group and started an additive manufacturing sales team. And it took us uh, three years of failure to figure that out. I don't know if I'd call it failure. Maybe I'd call it learning maybe three years of learning to figure it out. 
and uh, also didn't want to take the line away from the guys and uh, didn't think that that was right. So we ended up doing it and it has worked. We now have today, it's just we have one gentleman. All he's doing is full-time additive. And we've since then, since 2016, signed up three more product lines. And we're going to be hiring now for additive manufacturing uh, sales. It will be engineering. We're not going to do service uh, today, but um, our plan is in the very near future to be hiring more on the additive side for inside sales and outside sales. We've been very fortunate to work with the product lines that we have today. On the additive side, we can kind of take a customer from like Cradle, call it like a five or $10,000 option, up to a multi-million dollar option. So from the time that you want to get into additive with like polymer or metal, whatever, carbon fiber filled, whatever, all the way through production, we can do it all and even post-processing. So it's exciting now. I'd say it started way slower than what we'd expected or hoped for. But right now it's got some traction. So we're excited there. So that's additive. Second, hardwood automation. We started in, uh, it was Gen 1 of this year with one guy. So very small investment. I shouldn't say that. One person, small resource for the, the kind of activity that we have. And this year we've already installed 13 different robotic systems with our team. And we're hiring more. And in fact, we've just recently decided to house our Hartwig automation business inside of our Kansas City office. We have uh, 20,000 square feet there in Kansas City. We have a renter in there today. We are not going to be renting that space out. It's about another 5,000 square feet. And we're going to be adding Hartwig automation inside of the Kansas City facility. And we're hiring more people. So we've got sales, project management, mechanical, electrical design, robotic programming, all that stuff is coming. We're very excited about this opportunity. It's here. We're probably 15 or 20 years late to this opportunity, but uh, we know it's here and we know the automation business is real. I was just looking at our automation projects before this call. We have roughly 50 automation, five zero automation projects going right now that are being quoted, not that have been sold, but that have been quoted or there are opportunities there. So yeah, it's overwhelming, but it's here and we've got to get to it. And uh, we've got some very talented people that are already in in Hartwig Automation and we're going to hire more. So we're excited about that. In addition to that, maybe parallel to that or congruent to that, we are going to be doing all the service, all the applications, all the training, all that from a local level in each of our areas. So 14 states, seven locations, uh, soon to be eight, actually. Uh, We have a new facility going up that we've not going up, but we're buying in Utah. So we'll have eight here soon, Gen 1. But we'll be doing all the all the support locally for the customers. So it'll be heartwarming through and through and uh, something we can put our name on and our brand on. We're very excited about it. It's finally here. And it's something we've been wanting to do and talking about for a long time. We hit the go button in January and have been very pleased with the progress and success so far. We're going for it. Well, congrats on, on uh, you know, being able to expand your business in, in both ways. You know, it no, comes as no surprise to you, I'm sure, or anybody listening right now, that probably the two most common threads that have been talked about on this podcast through the 180 some episodes I've recorded are one, supply chain issues, and two, labor issues. And I look at the need for automation as, as we 
so much talk about reshoring, bringing all these jobs back to the United States, which is fantastic in light of all the supply chain problems over the last you know, five to 10 years, but not having the labor to do it and everything just points to automation, automation, like we have to be there. And so I, I can only imagine that side of your business will continue to grow and expand rapidly. And then on the uh, additive side, I had some really interesting conversations on the show as well with uh, leaders in additive manufacturing. And I'm really fascinated by this concept of an on-demand supply chain and the possibilities that that brings about for manufacturers. So you're playing in cool, two cool, really interesting, you know, kind of evolving spaces right now. I imagine there's a lot of excitement around all that. There really is. Our company's excited. You know, as we go around and talk with each of our regions and our sales teams and applications and service, everybody's excited. Everybody wants a printer. Because they want to print stuff, you know, at their desk, or could be an applications guy or one of our service techs needs something for a machine, or it's just fun. But we can also use them for product demos when we talk about doing turnkey business. We can actually print a part and say, "Hey, here's how we're going to hold it. Here's how we're going to machine it." That's pretty cool. It's pretty powerful when you can do something like that. And then on the automation side, it's like, gosh, students in school all the way up through. We have a gentleman that's with us down in Houston who's been working on robots for over 30 years, and that's all he likes to do. You know, so it's the younger group as well as some of the more tenured or seasoned folks. Automation is just really cool. It's a lot of fun to be a part of. So we've been installing, selling, implementing different robotic systems through different partners for a very long time. It's just now that we are going to be the ones that are going to be doing it as well as working with some of our partners, too, because we can't handle all the business that's coming our way. We're going to have to parse some of it out for a period of time. We've been selling and selling robots for over 20, 30 years. It's not new business. It's just new to us because we've been holding off because it's been, it's risky. There's a lot of investment there. And if you don't have your process down perfectly, automating anything is a very bad idea because all you're going to do is make bad parts after bad parts or, you know, create more and more issues for yourself. It's just, you're just going to be repeating it time and time again. So the, the real trick is getting the process correct. Then that's our engineering services group, our turnkey group. And then the automation group is going to go in and add robots to it and start making a lot of parts. I'd say we're more vertically integrated now than we ever have been. All the new technology around automation and additive are obviously very exciting. You know, at the same time, machining is going nowhere, right? It's it's all around us. It'll continue to be. But I imagine, may, you know, I'm curious to hear are, are the conversations you're having with customers changing in light of, you know, just industry 4.0 technologies like predictive maintenance and machine learning. I'm kind of curious how your conversations are evolving around all of that technology that's starting to emerge. It's definitely emerging. I'd say it's still new, whether it's industry 4.0 or machine learning or predictive maintenance. It all those are like really cool buzzwords and they all they do this sound cool. The idea is cool. Is it here yet? In some cases, but really not as much as you'd maybe like to think. Our machines, most of them come from Japan and they, they are working on technology now in the Europeans too, where you can have predictive maintenance based on like spindle wear or ball screw wear or maybe spindle load. There's different things that would potentially tell the customer, hey. It's time to change your oils. It's time to, you know, call Hartwig for parts or service or things like that. It's definitely coming. It's just, it's not quite here yet. On the machine learning side, don't see it so much yet. I think it's still a, a big buzzword for manufacturing. And I, I think it's probably maybe on even higher tech equipment than 
CNC machine tools. So I think we'll get there, but I don't, we're not quite there yet. The risk is, you know, these machines are very expensive. They're very complex in some cases. It could be seven, nine, 12 axis machines. And if the machine is making decisions on its own, it's probably going to crash itself at some point in time. And those are not inexpensive crashes. So there's so much that, you know, you, you really don't want the machines to make decisions on their own because it, it could be detrimental. But there is some really cool technology out there and software that can maybe change tooling faster for you or speed up a process or slow it down based on like tool wear or load. And so there we do install and we run and train and those kinds of things. So Greg, as you kind of look to the future for Hartwig, you know, you've, you've come through three generations here, you know, the next generation leading the company. How do you see the business evolving in the years ahead, just in light of, you know, a, a changing world of, of technology? And I feel like there's so much going on in manufacturing right now from, you know, the way the supply chain's changing and the labor issues we have out there and all the technology that's entering. Just kind of curious what your vision is looking forward. It's interesting, you know, when I started this 20 something years ago now, it was like three axis vertical machining centers and two axis horizontal lathes were, that was it. It was a simpler world, wasn't it? A simpler it was a much world. simpler world, yeah. <laughs> machines were less expensive. But anyway, so now we're talking multi-axis machines. We're talking five axis technology. We're talking all kinds of different Swiss technologies, like Swiss machines and, and the, those kinds of lathes. Just higher and higher tech is what we're seeing more and more often. And the days of the three-axis vertical machining center or two-axis lathe are very rare. Most of our customers are working on or, or already have purchased multi-axis machines, three, four, five, you know, up to nine to 12-axis machines. That's one of our differentiators. We're very fortunate to sell the products that we do and support the products that we do. Not everybody has the same luxury. There are still some of those folks out there that still just sell the two-axis lathes or three-axis mills. But it's more and more today, what we're seeing is more and more high tech. And at the same time, those purchases, as you can imagine, are more expensive. And what we've also found is those customers that buy the higher tech equipment are the customers who actually make more money. So in this case, the more they spend on machine tool technology, whether it's from us or anybody else, the more money they have a chance of making because they're really cutting their cycle times down, their processes down, their risk of failure down. They're actually making better parts faster with these higher tech machines than they would any other way. So what that does for us, we do pretty well in that space. So do others. We're, we're not perfect, right? We got a lot of holes. But what we're also seeing is that a lot of our customers need the expertise and training on those machines. We're very fortunate. Today, we have around 30 applications engineers that these guys do the install, they do the training, they do the turnkeys, they do the runoffs, that kind of thing. And we're seeing more and more and more companies going higher tech but they also have to have the support behind it. So that's one of the things. I would also say one of the things that we're starting to see is finally some younger students getting into the industry. I mean, even as young as in high school, I was recently out in Utah visiting some customers out there and they have kind of like a work school program with their high school students. And these kids are rock stars. They're doing a great job. And this is a trade where if you learn it, you can pretty and do a good job at it. You can pretty well write your ticket for the rest of your life because these machines and this technology, they're not for the faint of heart. And when you talk about programming these machines and running these machines and the different materials that you run and the different tooling and all that stuff, 
it's an art. I don't say it lightly. These people are very intelligent people and they're craftsmen. And if they can do this, like I said, they can write their own ticket and, and live a great life and, and make a great life for themselves. So them starting young and, and working their way through and progressing has been amazing to watch. It's amazing to me how fast the younger students pick this technology up because they've been living with it forever on computers, on phones or whatever, right? And so many of these machines are programmed by software, like a CAD CAM software that does a lot of the writing the code for the operator. If you can program, you can sometimes run a machine. That doesn't make you a machinist. You're still a programmer. But it's really cool, the technology that's out there that make it easy to run these higher tech machines. So that's cool. We are hiring more and more on the application side, more and more on the service side. In the old days, I shouldn't say old days, in, in days of my past. You're not that old. You're not that old. No, no, no. no. <laughs> you know, we would have maybe one service tech to one salesman. Today, we are approaching 90 service, uh, 100 service techs, actually, with 30 salesmen. And we have 12,000 machine installations in the field today. So our after-sales support, if you ask me where we're heading, um, our after-sales support business and headcount is going to be probably maybe 120, 130 service techs in the next five or 10 years. And then, you know, parts people as well and, and applications people as well. It's not that we're going after the money. We're just going after trying just customer satisfaction and uh, trying to keep our customers up and running. That's the name of the game. And trying to find and hire some of those folks is, is not easy. It's really not. Other than that, Joe, I would say, you know, additive automation, are two other you know big businesses for us, or soon to be big businesses for us, and I really see the uh, both of those taken off well. I'd say automation is going to be big for years and years and years to come. So, yeah, I think that's us kind of like in a nutshell. We're not looking today for any other machine tool technology that we don't have, and we're not looking to add any more lines today. We've got a very nice, what I call stable of a product portfolio. And um, at this point, we're just trying to serve the masters that are that, that we work with and try to keep them happy. No, I love it. You got plenty going on. A lot of excitement as, as you look ahead. So very cool. Well, congrats on um, what you guys have been able to, to do with your business over the years. Obviously, you're doing a lot of things right. So appreciate that. You know, we've got uh, good leadership, good team, great builders to work for. Very happy, very very fortunate to be sitting in this chair right now, yeah. Awesome. Well, Greg, I really appreciate you doing this today. Can you tell our listeners how they can learn more about Hartwig and get in touch with you if they're interested? Our uh, website's just hartwiginc.com. You can go out there and check us out. We even put our locations on there. We put any kind of uh, hiring or staffing needs that we have. Sometimes we have deals on there as well if you want to buy a machine tool that's from our inventory. You can also see us on YouTube. We've got quite a few videos out there. It's just under the Hartwig Inc. channel. And if you're interested, you want to give me a buzz, my number is 314-313-8702 or uh, greg.hartwig at hartwiginc.com. Beautiful. Well, Greg, again, thanks for doing this today. Yeah, man. Thank you. I appreciate you doing this. It's been a while since we talked about it, but I'm glad we did it. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity, man. It's, it's very cool of you to offer. Yeah, absolutely. And selfishly, I love having a St. Louis uh, people on this podcast. I'm uh Grew up in Milwaukee, have lived my adult life in St. Louis, and so I'm always a little biased towards getting some 
Milwaukee and St. Louis people on here representing the Midwest. So awesome, Greg. Thanks again. And as for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to The Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.